Alright. Welcome to the Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. This is the show where I do improvised horror stories. Every episode I pick up random story titles from a jar. And then I make up the stories from there. And if you have any story titles you'd like to submit, you can send them to quarantinespookshow at gmail.com. I will say at the top that uh, I've been experimenting with uh, some Ableton software for this new newish spook show sound. Some of the technical difficulties that have come with that uh, have been very frustrating. But I seem to have got it at a place where it's working out consistently, so that's certainly a good sign. And I wish these uh, more recent episodes weren't uh, as technically experimental. There's a very strong likelihood that this might be Quarantine Spook Show's uh, last stretch, so to speak. At this point, it seems like it seems like I'm gonna hit episode 100 and then call it there. And I guess there's a few reasons uh, why I'm doing that. Maybe I'll chat about them for a bit in future episodes. But one way I keep thinking about Spook Show is uh, the way the creator of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, the way he'd talk about working on the manga, and how when he did the first two arcs, uh, they didn't have stands. Uh, if you don't know the show, stands are the uh, like spiritual proxies for the characters. Uh, anyway, but uh, for those first two arcs, they didn't have stands, like the main uh, staple of that show. But they all did like energy-based combat. And when the creator was uh, crafting uh, the third arc, he was talking to his editor. Uh, who suggested to change it up a little bit. And the way he described it is, you know, the energy-based combat is cool and all, but that's one type of thing. And so the creator came up with uh, the concept of stands, and every stand has their own unique power and their own unique gift. And that helps make it create, create it into like a very interesting show, rather than just a combat-based manga or anime. So I frequently perceive uh, Spook Show in that same regard. How uh, this whole time for uh, these past 85, 86 episodes, Jesus, you know, Spook Show has been one type of thing, you know. One type of slot that you can fit something in. 
and I'd like to transform it into something that can be multiple types of things. I don't know if that has to do with uh, the type of types of sounds that happen, uh, the types of stories, uh, or the types of storytelling, or even if it's in a different medium or something. I don't know. But it's time for Spook Show to evolve in some way. I just don't know uh, what that looks like yet. Um, and I certainly hope that trajectory uh, comes to me uh, sooner rather than later. You know, you can never really uh, estimate when these things will happen. If it happens, it happens. Uh, if it doesn't, then so be it. But I do love making up random shit uh, and telling these really bizarre horror stories. Really, 30% of these stories are horror if you really think about it. They all have the creepy music behind it. Yeah, they all have the creepy music behind it, but uh, they're all different types of stories. But again, I'm just speculating. I don't know what it's next form will be at all, but I do love coming up with these stories and having the musical component to it and is awesome and doing the, doing it live and then tweaking it and posting it up later. I certainly love the broadcasting process. You know, I always have ever since I worked in radio. But anyway, you know, plans are fiction. Uh, I can keep rambling about the what-ifs of the world. Or I can just get started. This next story is called... Empty Cubicle. just in time. Jeff kind of just kind of strolled into the office, trying to be nonchalant about how late he was. He was certainly out of breath. He's panting. Uh, uh, hey, uh, how's it going? 
He just tried to stealthily go to his computer to punch in. While also chatting with people. Uh, it's such a unique uh, posture that people take when they're late for something. When they're late for work. And they're trying to play it off that they're not late. All of their movements... Uh, seems like it's from someone who's certainly not late. We're not in a hurry. They might swing their arms a certain way. They might have a certain strut. But it's the tension that they carry. The tension in those muscles or in those movements. And using that tension to be incrementally a little bit faster. But hopefully not fast enough so that no one would notice. But if you're paying attention, you can certainly notice. What gave Jeff away was uh, he was out of breath. For sure, no one at the office uh, noticed that he was jogging to the building. He kept panting. And if he walked by someone, he would hold his breath a little bit as he walked by. But every breath he took uh, was really heavy and deep. He's just like, oh, fuck. Just get to the computer. And then he made it to his cubicle. It was fine, anticlimactic. No one seemed to notice that he was late. He wasn't late by, uh, too grand of an amount of time. Only about 14 minutes, you know. People have been much later. Uh, for much sillier reasons. But, you know, we had to catch the bus. It's been very unreliable in recent years. No, but he was at his cubicle. He had a slight coffee stain on his shirt. And he thought he was in the clear. You know, there were no big meetings that day. No grand stakes for being late to work. Till his boss, Dean, uh, walked over and he's like, hey, uh, Jeff, do you wanna, can we chat for a minute? And Jeff was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. We can, we can do that. <sighs> Still trying to hide it, who's out of breath. they walked to Dean's office and Jeff was just wondering like oh god what could this be about what boring 
subjects would I, will I have to pretend to show interest in this time in this lovely workplace? It's probably about going to be me being late. And indeed it was. It was, in fact, about him being late. I mean, you're about, you're late once a week, man. Like, what's going on? That's the way Dean phrased, phrased it. Dean had a way of trying to be uh, the employee's uh, buddy. And sure, some bosses, even the good ones, can pull it off. But Dean couldn't. Jeff just looked at him. And just could read the How to Be a Good Boss manual all over his face. And Jeff looked at him and just thought... Probably read something. Probably read a boss book that compared it to sports to make it easier to understand. And Jeff was like, oh, I mean, that's no. There's no grand reason uh, why I'm late. That's not really something I'm doing on purpose. Uh, again, it's just like the bus, you know, my. You know, I was in that car accident recently. Uh, still in the market for a new car, uh, if you know anyone selling or whatever, but. Yeah, it's just, you know, I've been taking the bus, and it's been tough. I mean, the bus is pretty much late every day. And Dean was like, every day? And Jeff was like, yes. And that was a partial truth. Sure, the bus was late frequently. And during the height of pandemic, it didn't even show up at all. But most of the days when Jeff was late, it was because he took the next bus that he had to take that arrived 15 minutes later. And that's why he was about 14 minutes late. He would be 15 minutes late if he didn't jog from the bus stop to the office building. And Dean was just like, oh, that's troubling. I don't want you to... I mean, you know, like, we need you, bud. You know, I don't want you to keep being late to work or anything. Uh... Because, you know, if you keep being late, we're going to have to, you know, let you go or do some sort of uh, kind of reprimand or something, some sort of discipline. And I don't want to do that. You know, like, we all like you here. You do a lot of good work when you are here. So, yeah, if there's any way I can help out, you know, because I don't want to let you go or anything. Jeff was secretly wanting to quit this job for a very long time. He'd been, he's been doing vague and descript college, uh, vague and descript office work ever since he left college. And he's just like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it's the way of it. He's really getting up with getting uh, fed up with generic office work overall. He was more than happy to be fired from this one. And Dean was like, oh, well, I mean, yeah, I guess it makes sense. I mean, this is on the sixth floor. It's uh, kind of high up. And Jeff was like, yeah, yeah, it could be brutal. If the, if the elevator's out of commission, you know, I got to go all, all the way up those stairs, you know. 
And then Dean was like, yeah, I usually see you out of breath when you show up. And Jeff was like, uh-huh. Jeff had no idea that anyone noticed, but, you know, I guess it was more obvious than he thought. And Dean was like, yeah, when I, well, when I look at when you punch in, it's usually like 14 to 15 minutes late. Um, and we do have that uh, seven minute grace period for clocking in. Um, so if it helps, uh, we do have another uh, location that might be closer to the door that can help. I mean, it's not on the, yeah, it's not on the same floor, of course, and it might be harder to, for people to reach you, and you might feel a little bit isolated, so you don't have to take this as an option. Uh, but if you did, uh, you can probably clock in right at that seven minute grace period, uh, unless you just start showing up earlier or on time. But again, I don't really feel isolated from anyone else at work. You'll be doing the same job, typically. You'll just have to take the elevator up for meetings and stuff. Uh, does that sound like something that could be helpful? Jeff couldn't think of anything better than being isolated from his co-workers. So he said, you know what? I think that just might do the trick. And Dean was like, okay, cool, cool. Well, how about we, uh... How about when I, I got some extra time today, I'll set up the office for you. And then uh, you can just... Yeah, tomorrow you can just start moving there. I could lead you there. I'll meet you by the elevator. And Jeff said, that sounds great. So the next day, Jeff showed up for work. Uh, on time, actually. And he met Dean by the elevator. And it's like, oh, you're early. And Jeff said, well, I guess on time, technically. And Dean said, uh, huh. But anyway, let me show you the way. He went past the shining, uh, glistening lobby down a long hall of a white hall with doors to different offices. Where are the employees that actually deal with uh, customers? And then they arrive at the cubicle. It's a small cubicle. The room was very large, which was peculiar. It still kind of looked like it was under construction. Uh, there was a lot of uh, plastic wrap around and some unfurnished drywall. And Dean said, yeah, this was a, uh, this area is mainly gonna be a, a newer office space. Uh, we're working on doing an extension for the building. You know, when the pandemic started, we kind of had to shut everything down uh, to save some money. So, uh, 
But yeah, there's still this empty cubicle here that's set up. You can use it. I already brought your computer and stuff down. I just put it in the box. I didn't go through any anything. And Jeff said, no, no, it's fine. I got nothing to hide. And he was like, yeah, but you can just uh, punch in here. And Jeff went up and punched in. He was like, ah, oh, great. And Dean said, yeah, so, um, yeah, if you need anything, just uh, call me on the phone, send me an email. Uh, we got a meeting later today at 3. Uh, so just come up for that, um, and we can check in from there. And Jeff said, yeah, that sounds good. Thanks, Dean. And Dean said, yeah, sure, have, have a good time. And Jeff said, yeah, thank you. And Dean said, all right, see ya. And then Dean left. Dean struck uh, Jeff as someone who had a hard time saying goodbye. Certainly in a social faux pas setting. He wasn't sure how he dealt with his in more intimate uh, relationships. But that wasn't really Jeff's place to speculate in a way that's serious. He went back to focusing on his empty cubicle, and he's like, okay, all right. He looked around the space. Kind of looked like a tiny warehouse room. And Jeff thought to himself, like, huh, you know, when you think about it, this is kind of like one big office that's just for me. All right, this is cool. Now, Jeff didn't work less hard under those conditions, uh, but he worked more freely. During the moments when he wasn't working, he wasn't sitting there stiff as a board, pretending to focus on something in order to show show off uh, or for show or anything like that. I know he was doing some work, he was relaxed. He's never been relaxed, this relaxed at work before, uh, except during the uh, stint where they worked from home, when everyone worked from home. He finished most, most of his work at a... almost in half the time. Maybe about three-fourths of the time. So at about at about a one thirty, he was just like, "Oh, I guess I got nothing to do." He pulled out his book about Hungarian folklore and just started to read. And he was relaxed, you know. He looked around. He's like, "Oh, maybe I can bring like a little golf club and a thing so I can practice my." My short swing, whatever it's called. He was new to golf, so he didn't know all the terms yet. But he felt relaxed, he felt at peace. He felt like himself. After he, was, after he finished reading for a bit, he just got up and started to walk around. There were some discarded dry, uh, some uh, 
drywall here, some plastic around, some old abandoned construction materials, uh, some lumber for some reason. And he thought to himself, yeah, maybe I can like tidy this place up, you know, really make it my own. And as he was kind of moving things around, he saw his cubicle. He's like, you know, why am I in just like this cubicle, just like on the side of the room somewhere? Like, I can make this like more of an open space. I can like move my desk towards the window. Yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. So I tried to pick up the uh, wall of the cubicle and it just burned like fire. Like, he touched a hot oven, and he's like, ah, oh, Jesus, shit. And his fingers had these huge blisters on them. And he's just like, ah, oh, what the fuck was that? Ah, oh, shit. Oh, but he sat down at the desk again. Rubbing his hands. He had a water bottle with him, so he splashed some water on them. He's like, oh, what the fuck was that? And he had a weird sensation inside of his body. You know, he got his work done today. Uh, usually on most days when he finished his work early. He would either, you know, just read a book until he clocked out. Or he would just, uh... You know, he would just leave early. But when he was sitting at his desk, you know, usually in this scenario he would just leave early, have like a half day or something. But he had to say for the meeting coming up. But at that desk, he had a very strange sensation. There was a deep darkness inside him that was just compelling him to work. And he just thought to himself, I have to get to work. I have to get to work. And he just started working. There was nothing you really had to work on. Um, he was getting a little bit ahead of schedule uh, for the week. But ultimately, he was just doing busy work. And he's just like, what the fuck is going on? I don't want to do this. Still, he couldn't. He was barely blinking, staring at the screen, typing faster than he's ever typed, and his hands were starting to cramp up and everything. And he's like, "Ah, oh, this is gross. This is weird." He certainly wasn't a lazy, lazy person, and he believed in a hard day's work. But only if that work led to something. But doing this inane nonsense that he was keeping himself busy with, you know. It didn't make any sense to do. 
didn't benefit him, it didn't serve his income, it didn't even benefit the company. And then when it was 2.50, he was like, alright, time to go to the meeting. So I got up from his desk in the cubicle and left the room. He was walking down the hall. And as he was walking down the hall, it felt like he was getting out of a trance a little bit. He was just thinking, like, oh, what the fuck was that? That was fucking weird and gross. Oh, what the hell? So he went upstairs, uh, and they had that meeting. They were talking about, you know, financial reports, all that jazz. And then after the meeting, everyone kind of left the office, and Jeff just kind of lingered there. And Dean was like, oh, so how's the uh, how's the uh, new cubicle going? And Jeff was like, um, yeah, it's really cool. Like, it's like I have, like, my own space. And Dean was like, yeah, it is like, it's like your own large office. Yeah, I, fi I figured you'd be into it. And then Jeff was like, uh, yeah, but... So what's the story with that room, uh... And the fact that there's just, like, one cubicle in there. Indeed said, yeah, well, I mentioned that, uh, that room was going to be its own, like, larger office space, similar to where it used to work. But, uh, yeah, we had one employee, uh, who's super hardworking, uh, Delivered anything on time, if not earlier. Would help out other people with their work. Would come in early and stay late. Pretty remarkable dude. Like, I've never seen anyone work as hard and as fast and as efficient as him. But he always wanted to be ahead of the curve of different projects happening uh, in the office. Whether they had to do with the actual work that we did, or just like certain developments that were occurring. One of those developments was uh, we were setting up that new room. So I volunteered to uh, work in that room to be one of the first people in there. To kind of test it out to see what it was like. We were going to do it in groups, but he, uh, he volunteered. He was eager to do it because they were already doing construction and everything. He wanted to get get a feel of the most uh, optimal uptime that he could do in that office, and then get back to us on how we can make it the most efficient workplace. So he worked there for a week, and he really enjoyed it. Uh, got a lot of work done during that week, let me tell you. But he had a heart attack. He died at his desk. You know, no one younger than 50 should go into cardiac arrest like that. But he just worked himself to death. But I went to his funeral, and when people would talk about him, like, he was a very hard-working person. He worked hard in school, uh, in college, uh, one of the various jobs that he, that he'd have. He'd always grind himself to the bone for it. For any task, he, he was unmatched. And as people told stories about him in the funeral, like, it really seemed like he probably did, like, three lifetimes of work in half of a lifetime. 
technically one lifetime, but you certainly know what I mean. And Jeff said, okay, yeah. Yeah, I really feel that, uh, that energy, uh, that vibe. You know. Like, when I'm, when I'm in there, I, uh, I feel like I'm ready, ready to work. Like, really hard. Dean smiled and he said, I figured you would. Jeff didn't really trust that tone that Dean just had and thought to himself, could he, did he know something about this room beforehand? But he, before he dove too deeply into that thought, uh, there was an urge compelling him to return back to his office. Again, that one collective darkness was like, oh, meeting's over. And Jeff's like, well, I'm going to get back to work. And Dean was like, good, good. And just, just, Jeff just uh, went downstairs and went back to his cubicle, which was now his cubicle. And spent that next hour just doing menial busy work that didn't benefit anyone. Following up on emails that didn't need to be followed up on. Doing assignments that he already did twice over. And then when the clock struck five, he uh, got up from the desk and was gasping for breath. <sighs> what was that? He went back to his condo. And had to simmer down with some beer and some cannabis, smoking and drinking. Something he always did on Monday. Because who the fuck needs Mondays when you work in an office? Or it's Tuesday, technically. Uh, it was indeed a Tuesday. Unless you worked on Sundays, but it doesn't make sense. Um, anyway. It was a Tuesday night. He usually smoked and drank on Mondays. That's why he thought it was a Monday. It had a Monday vibe based on how hard he worked that day. But this was a Tuesday feeling Monday. He was getting his days all mixed up. But it was a perfect opportunity to smoke and drink and decompress. And he just thought, ah, oh, fuck. Oh, that's, uh, that's intense. Jesus. thought about what Dean talked about and the burning heat from the cubicle and he thought is there a ghost maybe that guy's spirit is lingering there super hard working individual and it's just like driving me and controlling me as I'm trying to do a moderate to decent job at work without exerting myself and wasting my energy and dare I say the occasional slacking off and coasting but Fuck, that guy is driving himself to the bone. Again, he thought about quitting this job for a long time. And he thought to himself, alright, I'm gonna 
I'm gonna do it. It's gonna happen. Tomorrow, I'm gonna quit that job, find something better. Even if it's another office job, I don't give a shit because I can't fucking work there anymore, man. Just can't fucking do it. Especially if I'm bodying uh, a spirit that literally worked himself to death. So when he went to, now, when he went to work, he was mentally preparing himself to quit. He was on time that day and thought, okay, this time I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna fucking quit this dopey ass job. It's gonna happen. But then it didn't. He just went to work and worked all day. He popped in the sixth floor uh, a couple times that day and chatted with coworkers. Very nonchalant. Um, in a more systematic way that he was ever used to. He usually likes to be loose at work. The tighter the conditions, the looser he likes to be. But all he did was sit at his computer and do the busy work that day. Because he knocked the stuff that he had to do, like in that first hour. He grinded through it. Spent the rest of it doing menial, useless, dumb, busy work. It's like the kind of effort he would put into a hobby or something. Or something he really loved doing. But it was work that benefited no one. Jeff thought, I just have to get the fuck out of here. Holy shit. I have to get the fuck out of here. But they didn't get the fuck out of there until 5 o'clock on the dot. And that night, uh, he went back to his condo and drank even more and smoked even more. He was pretty far gone and he was just like, alright. Tomorrow's got to be the day. You just got to fucking quit. You just got to do it. Maybe I'll do it over the phone. Fuck it. But just, you know, just show up and be all like, two weeks, bitch, and then leave. That's it. That's all you got to do. But he got up that morning, as he usually does. He started eating breakfast in his kitchen. But the coffee pot wasn't really working, or the coffee machine, rather. And it took him a little bit longer to get his coffee. And he's just like, ah, oh, what the fuck? So he tried to fix a little bit, and then he got it working. And then he saw the bus outside of his house arrive. It crept up in front, waiting for him, because the bus driver knew him. And Jeff was like, you know what, I'm just gonna finish my coffee, really enjoy my morning. If I'm quitting, then it doesn't matter if I'm late. I'll just be 14 or 15 minutes late. It's no big deal. I'll take the next bus.
And then as the bus was rolling off, Jeff was just thinking like, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even be 14 or 15 minutes late. It might be like seven minutes late or something. And then his thoughts were interrupted. There was like a very benign silence that he couldn't quite put his finger on. Without really thinking about it, he just stood up, grabbed his coffee, and just chugged it. And bear in mind, since he made it later than he usually did, it was still really, really hot and still cooling down. But he chugged the entire thing in like 10 seconds. And he can feel the intense burn go all the way down his body into his stomach. And he just said, ah, ah. Quickly put on his shoes and jacket, packed uh, his briefcase, just bolted out the door. And then he just jogged. He would fluctuate between jogging and sprinting. And it wasn't even something he did on purpose. He was just like, I don't want to be doing this. I just want to catch the bus. Now bear in mind that the bus ride is about 20 to 25 minutes depending on traffic. But the ride on foot is about uh, 50 minutes to an hour. Depending on the intersections. But still, Jeff bolted. He ran faster and faster. He made that 50 to 60 minute walk in a 20 minute run. And his start time was 9 o'clock in the morning. He arrived at the office building and then went to his computer to punch in his time. And he punched in at 8.59, right on time. Based on the exhaustion of not only that week, but that sprint in particular, the toll it took on his body, uh, who's, he was mostly out of shape, but he just collapsed on the ground and breathed and panted, gasping for air, thirsty, hungry, his insides still burned from the coffee. He needed some water, he needed some food, he needed some fresh air. And then when it was nine o'clock, he stood up and sat at his desk and started working. And throughout that day, he worked the hardest he's ever worked in his life. But it was hard work that benefited no one. Now the next day was a Friday. Dean was in his office, uh, getting ready for his day. Checking his emails and reviewing the meetings for that day.
And early in the morning, he was supposed to... Jeff was supposed to come by, uh... For some, you know, work stuff, objectives. During the day before, Jeff was far more involved in the day-to-day -day workings of the office. And really insisted on showing up, uh... Earlier... To chat about future prospects. But Jeff didn't show up. So Dean asked some of the co-workers, like, hey, anyone had seen Jeff? And they were like, no, I haven't seen much of him since he, uh, you know, worked at other office. Uh, he'd come by sometimes, but we didn't see him today, no. And Dean just thought, huh, that's peculiar. So Dean went down to the first floor. Went to check on him. He walked down the shiny lobby. Down the long white hallway. And into the office space, uh, at the lonely cubicle. And saw Jeff's dead body, leaning back in his chair, his eyes wide open, staring at the light fixture above him. Dean just looked at him inside and just thought, <sighs> not another one. This next story is called Zack Baggins Ghost.
anyone who's enthusiastic about paranormal-based broadcasting perhaps has heard of Ghost Adventures. It's a beloved show on the Travel Channel. Featuring the host Zach Baggins and his intrepid crew going to different haunted spots and searching for ghosts. Now many people question the legitimacy of their ghost hunting. Some people think it's, uh, you know, people who are all in on ghosts think that they're having the most bizarre encounters with the spirits of the undead at a certain haunted spot. Some people who are a bit more cynical just perceive Ghost Adventures as just a scam and Zach Baggins as a huge fraud. But people like this narrator here thinks Ghost Adventures is a very entertaining show. And Zach Baggins is very enthusiastic about the paranormal. And about the work that he does. one of the reasons why I was so tragic when Zach Baggins died from that terrible earthquake when the Ghost Adventures crew were visiting a haunted hotel it was a very nice hotel It's called Main Street Hotel in Northern California. It was near some mountains and some woods, and people would go and then go on like nature walks and stuff, and or do nature stuff from there. There's a great nexus point for that. But it also had a dark history. A couple of murders occurred there. Uh, in the late 1800s. When the earthquake happened, uh, the building stood. But Zach Baggins was on a balcony and he fell off. Now this struck the paranormal community and any vague enthusiastics for ghosts or even just good storytelling.
Because one thing you can definitely say about Zach Baggins is that he's very entertaining. Sure, ghost adventure shows uh, or um, paranormal shows were still around during that time. But people definitely said that there was a before and an after Zach Baggins. No other host could really deliver with such enthusiasm. And that's exactly why the Ghost Boys wanted to see that hotel. Try to find some ghosts themselves. They were a younger crew. Uh, they had their YouTube channel and they were getting a, uh, getting a modest following. They wrote, wanted to akin themselves uh, to be like the Ghost Intruders show, uh, or the Marble Balls show, but especially the Ghost Adventure show, because for that genre, that was the golden standard. There's a group of three of them, uh, Todd, Mark, and Ernest. They all went to the hotel in California. Fuck. Hotel, it wasn't called Hotel California. Todd kept making jokes about it. Jesse, yeah, we're going to Hotel California. And Mark was just like, Todd, shut the fuck up. Todd was just like, we're never gonna leave, man. Such a lovely place, blah. Mark was just like, do you even know the lyrics to that song? When was the last time you listened to it? And Todd was like, I don't know, man. Since I was a kid, I used to listen to it a lot. Went to the Hotel California. Something something paradise, who knows. And then Ernest said, uh, hmm. Not much of an Eagles fan, huh? And Todd was like, that's honestly the only song I know. And Ernest said, there's no shame in that. But you're not allowed to sing in my car unless you know the lyrics. And Todd was like, fuck, fine. So they make it to the hotel. It's called Main Street Hotel. Uh, the Main Street of a small town. Called Wichita. But they were going around town filming themselves, interviewing the people in the town about the hotel. And a lot of people said, like, yeah, this is the hotel that uh, the Eagles did their song about. You know, Hotel California? It's just really creepy. The vibes are creepy. 
And then Mark just said, uh, I don't, I don't think that's true. And then Todd was just like, well, do you know anything about the Eagles? And Mark was just like, not, not really, no. More of a Leonard Skittered guy. And then Todd just said, so you have no way of knowing whether or not this hotel is based on Hotel California. So you really can't doubt it. It's one thing if you knew all about the Eagles and about that song. It's like, no, uh that one's in the hotel in San Francisco or something. But no, you don't even have that, man. You're being unnecessarily cynical, and it's not cool. And Mark was just like, look, man, that's part of our group at Dynamics. Like, we need a cynic. It works. It works for the show. You're, like, all in on the ghosts. Ernest is, like, messing with the equipment. And I'm just being a dick. Like... That's what, that's what makes our show juicy. That's why we're getting a following. And Ernest was just like, Jesus, don't say how the sausage is made. They still had their camera rolling while they had this conversation. And Ernest was just like, I don't know, should we leave that in? And Mark was just like, I don't care. And Todd was just like, let's, we'll decide later. Let's, we should head to the hotel. So they make it to the hotel. And they check in. And Taz is like, hi, we're under the name uh, Ghost Boys. And the clerk was just like, okay, so uh, the Ghost Boys? And Todd was like, uh, Ghost Boys uh, with a Z. And she's, she just said, ah, here you are, right here. All right, room 302. Todd was like, oh, that's the same room as in, like, The Shining. You know, that's like the Shining hotel room number. And Mark was like, no, it's not the Shining hotel room number. There wasn't a zero in it. Do you not know anything, Todd? And Todd was just like, well, okay, then what's the hotel number then? And then Mark was just like, it's 4-3-something. Shit, I haven't read Shining since I was high school. Since I was in high school, I don't know, man. Todd was just like, God, oh, well, that's what happens when you pull all of your pop culture references from shit that you learned about in high school, you know? And then Mark's just like, uh, yeah, I guess now you're bumming me out about it. It's like, that's just a part of getting older, man, you know? Our reference points are less relevant, and the references we do know we know less about as our memories fade as we get older. Shit, man, we're gonna be grandpas soon. And Ernest said, none of us are even 30 yet. Chill the fuck out. So they all went to room 302 in the hotel. And Todd was like, all right, so what ghost should we look for first? And Ernest said, I just think we should start uh, setting up equipment here and there. Um, once, once it becomes night, we can start our night cameras and 
set it up at different places. Try not to disturb any guests while we do that. It's not like that we have this place for ourselves. We don't have that ghost adventures pool. And Marcos is like, no, we certainly don't. Well, there's three ghosts that I researched. Uh, Ernest was going on. There's Zach Baggins, obviously. We know that story. Uh, Buddy Jones. Uh, he murdered uh, three people here. It was his girlfriend and two other guests that witnessed it. And then Bobcat uh, Smith. He robbed a bank and uh, stayed here for a bit. And he got caught by the police and was shot down. And Mark was just like, oh, Jesus Christ, this place is fucking dark. And Ernest was like, right? Tell me about it. So night fell and they were setting up their setting up their hunt, so to speak. They had their cameras on and the their EMF readers. Their vocal boxes. They had their vocal box on and they were just like talking to the room. Alright, is anyone here? Buddy? Bobcat? Zach? And they had a vocal box, which was a device that shouted, uh, that listened to white noise and shouted out random words uh, in relation to that white noise. And that was a way where ghosts would allegedly communicate. And that device just said meat. And Todd was just like, meat, it said meat. Why do you think it said meat? And Ernest said, uh, maybe it wants to meet us. And Mark said, or maybe we're the meat. They don't have meat. They're not made of flesh. They're ghosts. They'd probably be like, ah, oh, flesh, fleshies. That's probably what they call us, right? And Todd was just like, um, maybe. I can see it. And Ernest was like, I don't see it. And then Mark was like, all right, I feel like you're trying to paint me as an asshole for speculating how ghosts talk about, you know, humans who are living. Because you know they do it to some capacity, man. So they kept hunting for ghosts. And then they decided to separate. Todd was looking around. He's like, all right, Zach, Buddy, Bobcat, Smith. He was downstairs, downstairs uh, near where the kitchen was. 
and he could hear a voice. And he could just hear, hear it go. This hotel is full of a huge haunted history. Many spirits lurk in the night. Maybe I'm even a ghost. And Thomas was like, Zach, Zach Baggins, oh my god. He followed the voice of the impeccable broadcasting. All these spirits in the night, stuck together in one roof. Could I be a ghost as well? And Thomas was like, yes, yeah, you're a ghost, Zach. Crossover. Do you have a message for us? He ran through the kitchen and suddenly all the pots and pans rumbled in the sink. And he just thought, oh shit, shit. He got really freaked out, ran off, and screamed. Mark and Ernest heard the scream. And also all the other hotel guests heard it as well. Some people were pe peeping up from their rooms. And Ernest was like, alright, I think we're getting, getting in too deep here. Eventually Mark went up, met, Mark met up with Todd, and then they went back to their room. And three of them were there. And Todd was like, I, I heard Zach Baggins' ghost. He was in the kitchen. And then Mark was like, what did he say? And Todd said, I don't know. I think he's still, he might still think he's on television, on Ghost Adventures. And Ernest was like, well, do you think, do you think he'll still be, he'll be on our, our show? And Todd was like, I don't know, maybe. We got to ask him. We got to track him down. And Ernest said, I don't know. I heard some, I saw some security walking around. I think they're on to us trying to ghost hunt and all that. Todd just thought, uh, well, shit. Alright. We gotta think of something. We gotta track down Zach Baggins' ghost. So they waited for much earlier in the morning. Like three or four in the morning. When they knew everyone would definitely be, a definitely be asleep. In the hotel where Zach Baggins died. That might also be the basis for Hotel California. Who knows? So they all went to the kitchen. They set up the vocal box and their little heat sensor that they had. But they're trying to communicate directly to the ghosts. 
And they were like, alright, Zach, Zach Baggins, we're reaching out to you. I don't know if Bobcat or Buddy can hear us, or any of your victims. But Zach Baggins, we want to invite you on our show, because you're not on television anymore. You died in a tragic earthquake, and your show ended from there. We'd like to invite you to be on our show, which is another ghost adventure show, so you can finally cross over. It was silent at first. Their little vocal white noise machine was going off, but not announcing anything specific. And then Todd said, Zach Baggins, do you have anything to say to us? And then their little vocal box just said, run. And then Mark was just like, oh shit, we gotta get the fuck out of here. And Todd was like, no, that, not after we talked to Zach. And then Mark was like, that probably was Zach. There's also a bunch of murderers here as well. And Mark was like, no, no, fuck it, I'm getting the fuck out of here. And Todd was like, wait, Mark, come back. And Ernest was like, Mark, come on. And Ernest was like, no, I'm going back to the room. I'm packing my shit. I'm going to sleep in the car. I don't care. quiet for a while. Ernest said to Todd, oh, we should probably go after him. And Todd was just like, we can go after him later. We really gotta reach out to someone here. Surely one of these ghosts want to talk to us. And then Ernest said, I think we should call it, dude. I think we got plenty of footage. I don't want to get kicked out of the hotel either. Todd was like, we can go after Mark. I'm gonna stay here. I wanna talk to I wanna talk to Zach or Bobcat or Buddy or whoever else is willing to listen. Maybe there's a ghost we don't know about, you know? And then Ernest was like, okay, I'll Yeah, I'll tech alright. I'll be right back. I'll get Mark. So Ernest left the room. And Todd was sitting there patiently. Still listening to the white noise silence. Enveloping the acoustics of the kitchen. And then Todd was like, oh, I just want to hear something. 
And then again he heard Zach Baggins' voice. It was him narrating in his broadcast voice again. Ghost adventuring is not for the faint of heart. Not everyone can handle it. Handle the fear. Or the threat of encountering another spirit. Some spirits are good. But some spirits will get you if you're not careful. Never go into a ghost encounter unprepared. And the title was like, Zach, Zach, is that, is that you? You're not on TV. You've... You've died. You can cross over to the afterlife. Do you want to be on my show? There's so much Todd wanted to ask him. So so inspired by Zach Baggins, but... And Todd just didn't know how to formulate his thoughts at all. He just ran and followed the voice again like he did before. Try not to be as loud to wake anyone up who, who was in the hotel. Then he saw Ernest. And then Todd was like, I... I Ernest, I heard him. I heard Zach. I, I'm tracking him down now. I got the camera, everything. We got. We might have a real ghost encounter here. And then Ernest was like, "Todd, listen to me very carefully. I got. You're listening." And Todd was like, "Oh, we got a ghost. We gotta go get him." And Ernest like, "Todd, shut up and listen to me. Mark is dead." What? And Ernest continued, "Mark is dead. Just found dead in the carpet in the hall on the second floor." Not even on the second floor, I don't know why I was there. He's bled out on the carpet. We gotta get out of here right now. And Todd was like, no, we gotta. We, no, we gotta. Ernest said, Todd, we have to leave. And then Todd said, okay, I'll get the equipment and we'll just go back to our rooms. And Ernest's like, no, Todd, we have to leave right now. We'll go to the car, drive off, call someone. We have to go. Ernest just grabbed him by the arm and they both left the hotel. And Todd was like, no, could it be a, could, could it be a ghost? And Ernest was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. We gotta go, it doesn't matter. We have to leave. So they got in their pickup truck and drove off to a more obscure spot in the trees. Ernest made a call on his phone, barely having signal, but he still got through. He said, "Hi, yeah, there's a there's been a murder uh, at the uh, Main Street Hotel in Wichita, California. Um, his name's Mark." Uh, I just found him. Don't know what's happened. Don't know what's happened. Uh, get to the hotel right away. It's a big place. A lot of people are asleep, but you gotta send someone. About 15 minutes went by, and two squad cars showed up. Ernest met with them. Uh, he drove back to the hotel when he saw the police lights, but Todd remained in the car, still traumatized by what he heard.
They turned on all the lights of the hotel. Some people were up. Some people were looking out their windows, seeing what was going on. There's definitely enough of a commotion that happened. Uh, so murderer could couldn't get away with it with stealth. An ambulance came. Uh, they brought out a gurney. Brought it in. Todd watched the whole thing. And then they brought the gurney out with a body on it. Todd wanted to go up and see the body. But his legs were just jelly and he couldn't... Feel like he couldn't get up from the truck or anything. He still wanted to hunt for ghosts and stuff, but all that kind of wiped away. Just seeing with the power of mortality firsthand and how finite it could be. That night, Ernest and uh, Todd checked out of the hotel and then just drove, drove off to their uh, home further down in California. They went to Mark's funeral uh, about a week and a half later. But Todd and Ernest didn't really talk to each other too much. They met up a couple of times to talk about what would be the future of, uh, you know, Ghost Boys and their other... possibly recruiting someone else. Uh, but they didn't really talk about it too deeply. And eventually their paranormal investigative show kind of fizzled out. Actually, they eventually found out uh, who killed Mark, uh, which brought some relief to Todd. It was someone uh, who was... Uh, he was on vacation with his wife. Uh, he was an abusive alcoholic. And his wife ran off. And as he was chasing her down, he ran into Mark. I thought Mark was attacking him. And then murdered him on the spot. Stabbing him. Knowing the context of Mark's murder, it really broke Todd's heart. And he sure broke Ernest's as well. Again, that whole experience uh, really showed him the power of mortality in a way that he never really conceived before. And he still believed in ghosts. And he still believed in spirits. And as tragic as it was, uh, for what happened to his young friend Mark, the only real solace that he had was, well, at least he gets to hang out with Zach Baggins.
Well, that was Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. Again, I guess maybe like the last episode, I feel like there's so many... I'm full of so many things to say. Um, I'm not quite sure what all those are yet, but... I'm sure we'll find out together to some capacity. Anyway, good night. Thank you.